Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sick next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan. It was nearly 2200 in North Carolina and I was wrapping up some work in the studio. My eyes were tired and my thoughts were wandering. I paced in my garage watching the coverage of Afghanistan on the news. It was on every channel. U.S. forces were withdrawing after a 20-plus year war and set a timeline for which that was going to happen. Advising these timelines to the world has its pros and cons. As I paced in my garage, cursing the planning efforts of this movement, specifically the closure of Bagram Air Base in Parvin Province, the significance is... There were nearly 5,000 Taliban and others convicted of hostilities against coalition forces housed in a prison system at the airbase, likely waiting for the time to get out to attack American forces once more. For reasons that are still unclear as I write this, decisions were made to close Bagram and no effort was taken to safeguard the prisoners or the prison. This likely added to the wave of Taliban sweeping across the nation, ending up at Hamid Karzai International Airport, HKIA, in Kabul, Afghanistan. After the country collapsed to Kabul, fear and terror ripped at the hearts of the Afghani civilians. With the American and coalition forces leaving what would become of this nation, would the divine spark of freedom and nationalistic pride burn bright or fall once more into the hands of bad men? The feelings of the Afghani people were on full display as they started to rush Hkaya airfield gates and waded through thousands of people to get to where they perceived as a safe place to what they perceived as the last real shot of leaving this country before the full grip of the Taliban was realized once more. Many of them lived under the rule of the Taliban before and would risk everything not to return to it. Kabul was buzzing and the news stations were all covering the mission. From my garage, I couldn't see a way to get everybody out of the country before things fell apart. I was enraged at the thought at the, at, the sh- at the thought about the lack of processes and safe, uh, to safely execute the non-combatant evacuation. I kept looking at my wife saying, this is all going to fall apart. They have no standoff. Shaking my head. It's all going to get worse before it gets better. The next afternoon was more of the same. More troop movements and less standoff distance. Planes were coming in and out of Hkaya, but the tensions were seeming to rise and the situation growing more dangerous by the minute. I watched thousands of people trying to get off the base on the TV. Each day it seemed to become more and more untenable. Every passing moment ushered in more anxiety about how the situation might turn out. I thought about, I thought I had fought to liberate these people for many years of my adult life and now it might all fall apart. What would that look like? I wondered. Would the, would the spark we ignited inside a generation of Afghanis be enough to sustain them to fight? From my time in 2010, I thought back to the memories, entered, uh, the, the memories that enter, entered my thoughts. I remember back to the invasion of Marja in Helmand Province. I thought about all the kids running and playing, perfect, perfect innocent smiles on their face. The way they would want to play or pester with us. The innocence was in their faces as they begged for water or candy, and hardship of the, in the eyes of those who were mentally or physically abused inside their homes. What you realize after you come home is that we are all people human beings. These people were living in hell. They wanted peace and stability as much as we did. I also thought back to the lack of the spine in most of the commandos that fought with us. There was good ones, of course, but far more bad soldiers expecting us just to call the choppers in. Nearly all of them were there for the wrong reasons and never committed fully. Most of the fully committed soldiers I dealt with simply fought against us. Thinking back, it seems highly unlikely that the Afghani army would stand up and sustain itself once the U.S. air superiority and on-the-ground advisors were gone. They simply didn't have it in them. As I paced and watched the coverage, my phone buzzed on the table. It was Michael Grimes, one of my Marines from the invasion of 2010. I knew he'd be watching the coverage, so I grabbed the phone and answered. Grimes, what's up, brother? Yo, are you watching this coverage? Yes, bro, it looks bad. I hope we get out of there without incident. 
Then Grimes said, Bro Cameron's there. He's stuck in Kabul. He's reaching out for help. You have to do something. Holy shit. Okay, I'll make some calls and I'll see what I can do. I need time to talk to Cam directly, though. Can you contact him now? After contacting Cameron and making Link up, I was urging Cameron to get to the airbase. To my knowledge at that point, U.S. forces were denying going outside the wire to, to pick up civilians or SIV passport holders. As I urged Cameron to try to get to the airbase, he tried to explain to me the situation on the ground. About an hour or so later, I received a message from Cam at the north gate of the airport. It was terrible. There were thousands of people mobbing the north wall of the airport. Several shots were fired during the video amongst the crowd. I could see the panic in the faces of those in line. Cameron said that they weren't letting anybody in without a letter from the embassy. A letter that everyone seemed to have. It didn't take long to realize that people just airdropped the golden ticket out of the country to everybody that they cared and loved about, or that they cared about and loved. This meant chaos at the airport, and chaos as well for the would-be refugees. I hadn't realized how bad it was on the ground from the news coverage. It was far worse than it figured than I figured it to be. I paced in my garage, and then the door opened. My seven-year-old walked out, came into the room, stared at me. She said nothing, hugged my leg and then told me goodnight. She knew something was wrong, and she walked back in the house. The phone buzzed again and slid across my studio desk. It was Cameron. He told me that he was going to need the airdrop credentials that everybody else had and an escort to the airport. After telling him I had no contact, he said he was going to see what the U.S. Embassy could do for us. I didn't have it in my heart to tell him that the U.S. Embassy was currently burning documents and bailing out. I reserved hope that they could still digitally they still had digital digital abilities for my friend. That was the final text of the evening. I went inside after several hours. My family was asleep, but I was buzzing with excitement. The excitement of helping, the excitement of possibly making a difference, the nervous excitement of failing, the nerves involved with taking responsibility for something or someone. I knew the following days would be trying for Cameron and I wanted to be at the top of my game. I went inside and plugged my phone into the charger and jumped into the shower. As I stood in the water, I thought about the day. I thought about the invasion of Marja. Cameron's, Cameron was with us through the, worth, through the worst of it. He was our only link to the culture and the language, and without the Camerons of the war, we would not have made it this far. Without the patriotic, young Afghani men standing up, none of this would have been possible. Cameron was from the Panjshir Valley, which is in northeastern Afghanistan. The valley is near the Hindu Kush Mountains and is home to several thousand residents, including a large congregation of, of ethnic Tajiks. Today, Cameron joins us from his new home in the Netherlands, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the time that he spent there. We were unable to get him out and, um, you know, putting a book together about it. Um, to really explain to people what happened in, in, in Afghanistan, um, you know, just over a year ago. And uh, Cameron, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be on your show, brother. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely, man. I've been excited to get you on. We've been excited to get you safe first. And then once we got safe is like now we can advocate for other people on the ground. And uh, before we kind of get to that, I want to I want a little bit of backdrop on your on your family. Um, and we talked offline and before about this. But if you can just kind of give me your um, your upbringing, uh, what the culture was was like at home, the things that were important and then moving into your adolescent ages, how, what you did for work and things of that nature as U.S. forces started to show up. Uh, <clears throat> originally, I'm from Panjshir Valley. It's in North Afghanistan, so I lived, I spent more time in Kabul, and my father spent more time in Panjshir than often when the Russian attacks. So my, my father moved to Kabul and stayed uh, there and worked as a teacher in Kabul. So all the rest of my family spent all time in Kabul. So myself also, I spent most of my time in Kabul. So I graduated school in Kabul, and then uh, that was 2010. I joined, I started to work with uh, Camp Phoenix in Kabul. So, uh, by one of my friends that he worked there, I told him that, hey, I want to work with you guys if it's possible. I want to work with Americans there. So he, he said, it's okay. 
uh, as a need of my family on that time. So uh, I was the one to help the family. So uh, I tried to help the family and start work with Camp Phoenix. Then they sent me to Hellman, uh, Camp Lidernick in Shorabak. So they sent me there and that's I start work with you guys. That's uh, right. There in, yeah, in Camp Shorabak. Then we went to Marja and been told. Yeah, yeah. So, but growing up, when you're growing up in the valley, um, let's talk about the valley. The valley has significance in Afghanistan because of the war heroes that come from there. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, Panjshir Valley, as I said, is located in north, uh, north of Kabul, north of Afghanistan. It's a valley that uh, we, uh, the people that fought uh, against Russia, when the Russian attacked Afghanistan uh, back to the 90s. So uh, most of the Panjshir Valley, the Panjshir Valley people, they, they, they fought against them, uh, against Russian. Uh, the people of Panjshir is a little bit different than the most of the people in Afghanistan, right. uh, because they, they they are come from mountains and they are very difficult, di- 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 different. So, is it different? Is it different culture wise? Uh, yes, it's different culture. Now, now, but how do you I mean do though? Uh, how, sorry. How do you mean? Like, what's different about their culture versus regular Afghanis? Because we speak different, we we our clothes different, our people is different. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just completely different culture. Now yeah, now is it culture, still Pashtun? Yeah. Uh, we don't have any Pashtun in Panjshir Valley. No. We do have Hazara people. Yes, we do have Hazara people. As you, uh, because of uh, you know better than Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan, the, the problem is the nationality or the language here. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, yeah. Uh, Panjshir Valley, in Panjshir Valley, we don't have Pashtun people. We don't have, uh, like, we have 5% Azara people in very small valley uh, inside the Panjshir, but we don't have any any other identity, like other other uh, people gotcha. from Afghanistan, like Pashtun, Uzbeks, uh, Turkmen. We don't have that kind of, only Tajik and only Panjshir. Now, would you be able to tell somebody from Pangshir versus Kabul by looking at them and talking to them? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Because now, we are white and very tall. <laughs> yeah, from uh, our... Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now, would it be safe to say if you could tell the difference between somebody from Panjshir and other places that the Taliban would be able to tell somebody from Panjshir in different places? Yes, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. It's easy to know the people. Okay, because the, because the culture is that much different. The 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 way they yeah. talk, the way they dress, the way they walk, the way they look. Yeah. You said your lighter color. Uh, is yeah, that what you yeah, meant by that? Your lighter. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, because this plays yeah. in later. The reason I want to I want to talk about this and spend some time on it is I want people to understand that pine cheer people are, are easily. Um, identified amongst a group of other people from Afghanistan and when the entire yeah. country begins to collapse into Kabul this becomes a you know something that me and you talked about and messaged back and forth about you know why you were still yeah. hiding so I wanted to really touch on on um on that and isn't it Ahmed Sarah Massad is that the war hero uh, did I say that right yeah uh, that was Ahmad Shah Massoud Ahmad Shah Masood that killed by Masood, Taliban yeah. side bomber, yeah, after 9-11. Mm-hmm. So now his son become a leader. Now his son's name is Ahmad Masood. So when the Kabul government collapsed, all the leaders, all the Afghan leaders, all the generals that work with ANA, AMP, space com- Afghan special commandos, Afghan special forces, all they run away. So this guy, the son of Ahmad Shah Masood, Ahmad Masood, so he went from Kabul uh, by a chopper, uh, by a helicopter to Panjshir Valley and collect the people. Yeah, they gathered people and they make a uh, like they call, he called all the all the the generals, 
all the all the old generals, mm-hmm. all the jihadi yeah, mujahideen before that they fought against Russia, because most of those mujahideen were come from that valley. So we, he went to the Panjshir Valley and called to the people that, and they gathered all the people and all the all the, all the generals, all the soldiers, especially the Afghan soldiers, because when the Kabul government collapsed, they knows, like myself, like myself, they knows very well that they're gonna. Uh, Taliban gonna kill those those guys, those mm-hmm. special forces guys, those ANA soldiers. They're gonna kill them. Mm-hmm. So that's why they didn't have any way. Most of them they went, but they went with American uh, troops. Like they went America. Mm-hmm. Most of them they, as a special units. Not all of the the, the ANA the special units. They went with uh, like uh, ANA special force, like India special force. They went with Americans. So most most of them. Like uh, 80% of those soldiers they left behind here in Kabul. So they had the only way they had, they, they, they went Panjshir. Mm-hmm. So they went Panjshir and joined, joined with uh, Ahmad Masood, the leader, of, uh, the leader of NRF. So they went there and they start, they, they start group, uh, grouping the people and, uh, on the different part of Panjshir Valley so they know so once the Taliban get all Afghanistan, especially once after the 30th of August, they're gonna attack Panjshir Valley. Mm-hmm. That happened. Mm-hmm. So all the all the all the old ex-militaries militaries they went to Panjshir also. They had a plan to fight back uh, fight back Taliban. So when the American left after the 30th of August, when the American left, Taliban had a plan to attack from different different part of a different area on Panjshir Valley. So from north, east, south, or from different parts. Mm-hmm. So they start, yeah. So after that, when the uh, American left, they start fighting. They killed a lot of people. Like uh, uh, on that time, I also gave you some information too that most of my friends that work with special forces, they were in the, on the mountain in Panjshir Valley. Mm-hmm. And so the Taliban, like, 2000 on the first attack on the first operation after 30 Taliban attack with 2000 2000 soldiers on the first night on the Panjshir entry enter enter point uh, NRF NRF uh, soldiers killed uh, I think that was 115 on the first attack they mm-hmm. so Taliban bring more 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 troops they start fighting they took it in three days all the punishment they cleared only the highway not the mountain so the ahmad masood and the leaders the old ex-generals and the, the, the and the most of the commanders they went to the mountains mm-hmm. they all went to mountains there and get together there so the taliban took the only the punisher highway because uh Pineshire valleys are uh, surrounded by mountains yeah. it's only one way from mm. from a start up to the end, it's only one, it's only one road. So and that's the yeah, videos always, that you were sending me where the NRF were firing down off the mountains into the highway. Yes. Yeah. 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 And highway. maybe if I can get that put up on the screen, I'm going to put that up on the screen. If not, sorry about that, but I'll I'll share it through the other social media to give you guys an idea of you know, the kind of fighting that these guys do. It's literally straight up mountains and they have firing positions all over the place, raining down on the Taliban. Um, yeah. It's, it's impressive work um, that they were putting in, you know, from what I saw, but go on, I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, they all went to the mountains and get together there. So Taliban had more, they had more plans. The Taliban uh, bring all the troops. So they, 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 uh, search all the houses in Panjshir Valley and killed most of the people that had connection with uh, with NRF. So after after twenty days, yeah, after twenty days, so they start to follow the NRF soldier on the mountains. So the Taliban went to the mountains mm-hmm. with, with yeah with more uh, more troops and more more equipments, different teams with uh, helicopters. Uh, with all that, so Ahmad Masood and uh, Amrullah Saleh, before he was uh, the chief of staff with Afghan government, so these two guys, they they went to Tajikistan and they left couple couple commanders on Panjshir Valley and they also 
invite other other commanders that hey come join with us and fight against Taliban. So these two guys went to Tajikistan. Still uh, until now, until now there are there are troops on the mountain that fighting against Taliban. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. It's insane. Let's go yeah. back. Um, you start with Camp Phoenix. They tell you that you yeah. need to you need to have some credentials. You need to have good language. You say, "Yep, I got it. My English is okay." So they bring you in. They send you down to Camp uh, Leatherneck, where you're going to meet Camp up with yeah. you're going to meet up with Kilo yeah. Three Six there. That's where we meet. Um, and then we go through this whole invasion together. Um, and and I don't I don't want to take away from it, but a lot's been already said on it. Um, but enough to say that Cam was with us through everything. Um, there was a specific night that, that my squad was called out on a frag mission and there was like a building that was being hard pointed by several people and we had to close on this building in the face of the guns because it was alleged that they may be friendlies that forgot to check in. And, you know, walking straight into a, you know, a Soviet block machine gun on the roof and a, and a sniper and, and multiple guys, whether they're asleep, friendlies, you know, enemies that's still that's still some of the stuff that we had to go through and you know can be right by our side giving commands and you know translating the language for us making sure people stayed safe and um and then it comes down to the end and referencing back to the monologue uh you know michael grimes hit me up put me in connection with cam and then we just started trying to work it um we worked it from multiple different angles and uh and came up unsuccessful after after the abbey gate exploded um, because priorities of coalition forces changed after that, after they had taken some real damage, they'd taken some, you know, some, some downed Marines and soldiers and corpsmen, and it was time to get out of there and things changed up until that point, Cam and I would speak every day, um, multiple times a day, transferring information, trying to get his SIV packets into the state department, which we successfully did. Um, we were using, a. uh, uh asset to us but a retired marine uh jonathan myers um helped us from his post where he was at in the world trying to help you know get teams out to get cam all the way up until the gate exploded um and then after that it just became a thing where i would check in with cam you know multiple days a week and then that kind of turned into once a week um, as he was trying to navigate this new life inside of Kabul. And if you can talk about a little bit of that, once the, once the Abbey gate explodes and I know, you know, where you were at in Kabul, you could feel and hear, uh, hear that. What, and what's your life become yeah. at that point? So, uh, on that day, like, uh, one, one day before we talk, I, I, I chat with you on Facebook. You told me that, Hey, Cam, uh, just stay away from the airport. So uh, among the people also here in the media, they say that do not go to the airport because it's a danger area, some, something going to happen. So the day that, the, that day that they blew the abigate, the, uh, the explosion that happened, I was, I was on the other part of the city. So I, I couldn't able to go out because, because of the situation that I had, that probably Taliban going to stop me and take my phone or something at someone. When I told the Taliban, they're like spying on me that, hey, these guys are work with Americans. So uh, I spend most of the time on the uh, on house. So didn't go anywhere. I only checked the the, the explosion through the social media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of my friends, yes, one of my friends, he was on, the, on there, at, at the, uh, close to that area, close to when the, the explosion happened. He was very close to that. So he told me, he told, he sent me some picture. I sent, sent back to you. Remember mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to put he, those yeah, up as me. well for people to see. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was in a, a very, not close to the airport, but another part of the city, the city that like 15 minutes to the airport, something like that. Yeah. Now I'm, I know uh, and we'll, it'll be way more detailed in the book because I have all of our communications back and forth. So it'll be exact, um, exactly what was said back and forth, which which helps in timelines. But at some point you told me very early after the, you know, maybe it was just before the gate exploded, but the Taliban had checkpoints on every single corner of every single street leading into the airport, right? Yeah, 
yeah yeah and so that makes you know that makes for a contentious especially when you uh add in from before that pine shear people are easily identifiable identifiable now you got to come up and go through all these checkpoints where you got to hope that these taliban you know you know soldiers aren't recognizing you or know you or can tell that you're from panchir and it's like that yeah. that's a bad situation and so you just stay you just stay in the house in kabul there um yeah yeah spend more time in, in yeah in the house so been able to go out like i said because most of the people that they they, they caught by taliban like they, they gave them information about the guys that hey on this street on that street on that house this kind of people that were living there and that they work with old government as a as a manager as an officer as a something something that's linked with old government so mm-hmm. on because on the first day they, most of the very very well well taliban enter the kabul city they didn't care about they just they, they shot you for free for <laughs> for nothing so, yeah for nothing yeah. now and you Taliban also communicated to me that Taliban they were you also communicated to me that they were killing uh a and a soldiers and a and a special forces police yeah. and that they were looking yeah. actively searching and looking for commanders and and interpreters like yourself correct yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and none of that was being reported on um any of our news stations and I was like, what is going on like we need to people need to know about this right and yeah, yeah. um before before when the taliban entered the kabul city they had all information they had mm-hmm. all information especially the high-ranking guys mm-hmm. the high-ranking back in kandahar one of the old general is his name was <clears throat> general razak he was a uh, he was a commander of kandahar he was a police commander of kandahar for many long time so you know what happened when the when when Afghanistan collapsed, Afghanistan government collapsed, especially in Kandahar. So what what happened to his family and his relative when the Taliban took over the Kandahar? They killed all of their relatives, all from very like if your cousin of them or your uncle uncle. Of Just them, completely cleanse the bloodline. It's like three hundred. They killed three hundred people. Two street, two in one area, two street. They killed all the families. All the babies, especially the babies, all like all the one of the Taliban commanders say that I want to remove his his tribe from Kandahar because he was the one that he helped the Americans, he helped the 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 mm-hmm. uh, old government of Kabul. Is that stuff like that? Was stuff like that still going on when you got out of there? Still, I know that yes, you had sent me still. pictures at one point, or it was a video, and I think you were you were you were hiding in some kind of apartment. And it was a video of, or somebody was, and it was a video of them coming in and getting people and zip tying them, putting them in the trunks of cars and taking them out of the city. You remember that? Yeah. Still, yeah. Still in Panjshir Valley. It's happening on my people. Still. Still in Panjshir Valley. They took their houses. They took everything from them. That They told them that, hey, you guys need to go somewhere because we are now here and we have the house. You don't have here. 20 years, you guys work with Americans. You guys killed a lot of Taliban. A lot of our relatives in southern province like Kandahar, Hellman. So now you guys don't have right to live here in in Panjshir. We we are we, as long as we are here, we are not letting you guys to live in this uh, house. So basically, the Taliban took over Panjshir. Yeah, they they took over Panjshir, especially the houses, the good houses in Panjshir, because most of the uh, most of the guys that they built good house there, and they went there. That this is this like. This you guys don't. How can I explain? You guys don't have right to live in this place. We mm-hmm. own this place, and yeah, like they they wanna they wanna remove the tribes. They wanna they wanna uh, yeah they wanna they don't want to uh, they don't want to again Panjshir people gather in, uh, in Panjshir Valley. So that's you why think they're it, removing people? Is it because they look at them as the ultimate threat? to them taking over yes. because that's the people yes, that yes. have always rose against them and against the Russians and against everybody. Yeah. That, that's, that's the point that you're scared that if the people, they get back, they come back to Panjshir Valley and stay their homes. 
so they're gonna fight again against us that's why they are not letting people to come back and live on their houses in Panjshir Valley mm-hmm. and they killed uh last time that we uh, i talked to you uh, i i talked with you on the i think that was a month ago yeah month ago they killed yeah they killed 17 young young boys in uh, one of the valley that called abdullah hill valley of abdullah hill inside the pine sheet um because the, the reason was that these these young boys had a link with uh, nrf with uh, ahmad masood a group so so just because they were affiliated they killed them all yeah Mm -hmm. and that was a month ago so that's what i'm saying like once american forces got out of uh kabul you know like our news stations go to something else and then ukraine happens and everybody's thinking about something else and it's like these people are still like in dire straits in this country uh that we just left um, and I know we can't stay there forever. And that's part of the monologue is like, did we do enough over 20 years to show enough people freedom that they can now fight for themselves? Do you believe that? Uh, like, the, the, I don't understand. Sorry, brother. Saying over 20 years, we came over and fought beside you guys, you know, and beside the Afghan National Army. And we, we tried to prop up this government. Um do you believe that we uh, did enough? And it, at the time, it doesn't seem so. But do, do you think we did enough to have that spark ignited inside of people that they know that there's a better way if they just fight for it? People, uh, when the when the American government were here, so the people had to believe and they had the goal that so American here. We also we helping to build the nation and build the country. So they had an ID, but when the Taliban showed, showed all the people they lost trust on international, international uh, governments like Americans, Arab countries. So they, they they lost trust because when the Taliban came, so they, they, especially the the militaries, especially the Afghan ANAs and mm-hmm. the Afghan police, because now now most of like uh, trust me like. Most of those soldiers, they are, they are they are in Iran and they they are in Pakistan. They are in Iran. Be- they all just the, fled because they yeah because they scared and they moved to Iran. The, the other day, I I I heard that the Iran government, Iran government, they 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 collecting most of the old Afghan special forces. Yeah, they collecting and they send them to uh, Ukraine fight against. Uh, American or fight mm-hmm. against Ukrainian soldier in Ukraine. Yeah, and as a company, you know, they're like a, a security company working with Sepai Pazdaran in Iran. That they send most of the guys to the Ukraine and to fight against Ukrainian soldier or uh, other soldiers. Yeah, sick. Now, are they doing that voluntarily, or are they collecting them and forcing them to go fight? No, voluntary. They voluntary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're paying them good money yeah, to send them down there. Very good money. That's why they, yeah. That's yeah. why they're joining because now they, they don't have also, they don't, the, 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 the old, uh, the special force, Afghan special, they don't have also any way to go. So yeah, where else, what else are you supposed to do? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's good paying. Right. So it's just mercenary work, but it's better pay than what they were doing at their own home countries. So they yeah, can make it work. On this time, that uh, you know what what going in Afghanistan in this very bad situation and very bad situation of life, the poverty is getting high every day. So the the only way that they feed their family that's the way. So they're gonna do that. And also, the UN government using very on point. They're using them on very hard missions. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't heard that yet, and that's interesting to think about, but it makes sense. Like, it makes sense that they would do that, you know. Uh, what do you think becomes of Afghanistan? In the future? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have any hope for Afghanistan from now on because the people, still the people, they don't want Taliban. They enlist, like, most of the people, only only the Pashtun tribe, Pashtun tribe, Mm-hmm. They want Taliban, but not all of them. 
all of the Pashtun tribe also, because you know better Taliban and the Pashtun tribe. Mm-hmm. They come from Pashtun tribe. And, uh, I don't want, I don't see any good future for Afghanistan because it's they are not giving rights to other people to other tribes in Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah, they are not giving rights to other people so the Taliban Taliban took everything, took power, took money, took places from people, took the people rights. They are not letting the girls to go to the school. So it's not going to you said they're not letting they're not letting women go to school anymore. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No, they're not letting. Women so, have go. they enacted Sharia law across the entire country? Uh, yeah. Yeah. All the, the the girls only go to the school up to the sixth grade. After the sixth grade, they can go to school, not college, not school. Mm-mm-mm. So, let's get back to to the timeline a little bit. Um, Abbey Gate explodes. We we kind of moved down to talking more like once a week because now you're trying to figure this new system out. You're trying to work your own side. I'm still working the side over here. I, I worked Fox News for a side, which gave us John Myers and some other people from the State Department helping us. Um, and 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 ultimately, we don't know what kind of help that was. We we know that they tried. We were very uh, appreciative of their services and of reaching out. Um, but still you remain stuck and U.S. forces leave, coalition forces leave. What does it become around the city after all U.S. and coalition forces are gone? What is what is life like then? Uh, brother, for me, that was the worst. That month, that August from from 15 to uh, all the first, first days the Taliban shows, everyone had very bad situation especially mm. on my, my my situation that was i i feel like exhausted mm-hmm. yeah because when the americans left so taliban start uh, start fixing their uh, their troops start to uh, make bigger groups and they they because when they enter the city most of the the people that like taliban they start to join with taliban and taliban also start to Get the government, get the ministries, get the, the all, all fix everything. So especially banks. So the banks were closed. But people had very, uh, they had a lot of problem on that. So totally the all, especially Kabul city that I grew up there. That for me, city was look empty, mm-hmm. very empty. Mm-hmm. Because before you could, before when when the old governments were there, when the a lot of people lived on that city, especially my friends and my relatives. Same like other people, they, like three million people live on that small city. Mm-hmm. So it was very busy city and very, uh, very lovely city. But after the Americans left or Taliban camp, everything was empty for. Mm-hmm. You you feel like empty when you walk on the streets. You feel like this city's dead. Like a ghost town. Yeah, so it, 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 yeah, it was a ghost town. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, ghost town. Yeah, yeah, and then and then so then the struggle becomes what trying to find another way out, trying to figure out who you have around the world that can help you. How's that? How's that mission unfold? So yeah, so I talk with, uh, because I work with uh, I work with different uh, organizations like. I work with Australians, I work with uh, British, I work with uh, Americans. So I had a lot of friends around the world, especially mm-hmm. my family. Mm-hmm. My family, most of my, my family, they, they live outside of Afghanistan. My cousins, my cousin, most of my cousins living here in Netherlands, most of them back in the USA. So I talk with them and they, they know, they, they know uh, about my situation also very well. So they, have, they know that I work with you guys and if the Taliban find out, they're going to do something on me. So that's why I talked with one of my, my cousins that lived here in Netherlands. I told him the situation. He said, let me do, uh, let me see. I will do something for you. So it, he said very easily. So I talked with one of my British British friends. Uh, he he lives in London. So he, he also he also gave me hope that, hey, Kim, I'm going to try my best if I can do something for you. So I also talked with you. 
the my my goal was to just get out of from the situation and the, the bad thing that uh, all my my accounts my bank accounts i had uh, i trust me brother i faced a lot of problems on that time so it was not would they freeze out. everything yeah they free, they freeze not on me on most of the people so they mm -hmm. freeze everything the, the banks had the problem and i don't have money very good money also on that time so uh, bad time a lot of problem yeah a lot of problem couldn't able to go to the uh, bank because they, they're on the bank also they were Taliban checking the people they know that the most of these guys that come in the bank they work with old government mm -hmm. old, they're old military or they're old uh, old government officials so that's why I scared from that so I talk with many people that just my my goal was to go out from Afghanistan. It doesn't matter if it's the USA or it's a, right. a Canada, Australia, somewhere to be in safe zone. So that was my. So one of uh, like I said before, my cousin finally he he was able to get me out of the country. So and and how did I, that work out? So they, he applied. He applied a visa for me. The visa. The, the he worked. He, he worked here with the government. With the government, he knows. He know very well this, uh, the rules here. So uh, he he applied a visa for me on the first days. Uh, it was difficult for him. Then uh, after a while, so they said that he told me that hey, you need to go to Iran. You need to go to Iran. They go, you go. You you gonna have an interview on Netherlands Embassy in Iran. So I went to Iran and I had the interview, and it works. And, and it worked. worked. <laughs> <laughs> and Hold on, you skipped a part. You skipped a part we talked on about offline. You to get to Iran, you had to go to the Kabul airport where there's several Taliban. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So didn't you uh, have a buddy at the airport kind of letting you know what was going on? Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I'm going to. So when when my cousin told me that hey, you need to get the you need to you need to go to the Iran because of the interview. So the the big problem was uh, the Kabul airport. I thought that how can I go out? So it's because I had a, a fingerprint and fingerprint and eye scan. Uh, on on all uh, government, so I I talk with most of my friends that how is the how is the situation in the airport. One of my friend that work inside the airport, I talk with him that hey, how is the situation? On first on first time, I told that I'm gonna go by land. I'm gonna go from Kabul to Herat and from Herat to Mashhad Iran. So I thought like that, but my friend advised me that hey, it's it's very diff it's dangerous from Kabul. They have most of checkpoint on the way, and they recognize very good financial people. And if they ask for your taskara or for your national ID, if you show them, big things gonna happen. It's good for you to go from uh, Kabul airport. So uh, I talked with my friend that he worked with. Uh, he worked inside the airport. So that hey, I told him what's going on inside the airport. How's how is the rules? How the Taliban check people? He said uh, they if they have information about people, they check them. They check their ID. They they check their passport and they, they check an investigation. If they don't have, so they it's easy like same like old days. So what what? So fifty fifty. So, yeah, <laughs> for me that I don't have any choice. I said, okay, I'm I'm down. Anything happened to me, I all go. I all go because I don't have any choice. Mm. So, so I went to the airport. That was uh, early morning. Early morning, and I went to the airport. Very scared, but alert also. Very scared, but alert. So I went to the airport. See, uh, saw a lot of Taliban, especially on the. <laughs> The main checkpoints. Then I went to the uh, inside the airport <clears throat> on the, the checkpoints that checking the baggage and searching the people. So I went there. I went. I gave my passport very easily, but no, nothing. Did, very easily. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I, I never thought about it. Yeah, very easily. I went to the terminal. 
I was like, thank God. That was not easy, but yeah. Yeah. And then once those, once those wheels lift up, what's that feel like? Uh, like freedom. Yes. Yeah. 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 Ha- happy dance for sure. I know that I talked to you the night before and you said, I'm going tomorrow. I'm making my move. I'm going to Iran and I'll get up with you. And then it felt like forever I was waiting on you to confirm that you were safe in Iran and like, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then boom, you're like, I'm going to Dubai. And I'm like, okay. And then, uh, then you finally called me, were able to FaceTime call me when you got, I think into Germany, uh, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you, Germany. you were FaceTiming me. You had all this beautiful architecture in the background. You said, I'm really feeling the freedom brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's too yeah. cool. That's too cool. So what's life look for, look like for you now? Um, now you're in the Netherlands uh, and you got a house, I assume, or. Yeah, as you know, as you know, it's not easy to live here. It's not easy because I was new here, but most of my 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 relative that lived here, they they are helping. They helped me a lot to mm-hmm. find a house and things. My house, also the, the stuff that I need in house, that they helped me a lot. But nowadays, I'm trying to work and study to study the language. Mm-hmm. The good thing about the good thing about uh, Netherlands and Netherlands people is. They speak English. Oh, yeah, okay. It's very easy for me. Yeah. So you can yeah. get around with your English while you're learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. One day when you talk with them, they're very happy. They answer you. <laughs> <laughs> they like Americans. So yeah. That's good. Life is not. Yeah, life is not easy here. Like last time, like I told you that it, I, the last week I was very busy. Mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. busy fixing the house buying stuff for the house went to the city where i live it's a little bit far from downtown so it's very for me it's it's not easy i don't have i, I don't have car my family had that mm-hmm. my, uh, my, so yeah it's not easy for me but life is good as at least i'm in freedom i can Safe. The freedom i'm safe yeah 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 and now the struggle begins to learn the culture, learn the people, learn the language, get into, yeah. you go get your driver's license. Once that happens, surely once you get your driver's license, that'll open you up to, you know, be commute, commutable. You can get to work, you can get to different places, things that you need, right? Yes, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying, yeah. Now, is it, um, is it difficult to get your driver's license over there? No, no. Just a process? but it's a process, but the, uh, probably takes like a, a week okay but i know how to drive because before i had a car so yeah, yeah. i know how to drive the only rules now i also know the rules here so it's <laughs> easy for me now yeah 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 learning those rules is important eh well yeah, good in afghanistan as you know it's just just drive just free for all <laughs> yeah yeah here it's not like that so, yeah, yeah man and what are you looking yeah. at work-wise First of all, like I said, first of all, I have to study the language, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to I'm trying to study after the language. I'm trying to uh, study. So anything, uh, any kind of work, I'm ready to work. It's, it's okay for me because yeah, uh, it's just, I'm new here. So first of all, I need to com- complete my studies. Yeah. Uh, I like to study. I like to study administration. So uh, good. Let's see if it works. Yeah, definitely. We're um, is it, do you have a school that you're going to, or are you doing it on your own? Uh, here, no. We have. Uh, I have a school. I have. I, I have a language school. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Very good. Very language good. school. Then, then uh, from when you finish the language, they give you a point that which, which college you need to go. They 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 then they knew you from. Okay. Yeah, they and give then, you a number from that. Okay. And then yeah. you then you go into college and study whatever it is you want to study as far as what you want to do for a profession? Yes. Yeah. Check, check. Good, dude. I'm I'm excited to hear how that goes. And obviously, I'm going to stay in touch with you forever. But uh, it's exciting to, even though it's tough, um, and I can't imagine having to leave my country, having to leave my family. I can't imagine that. Um, 
like it's never it would never even come no, into I'm my brain <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind um, yeah it's, it's it's not easy like you say it's, it's not easy to live the country live the family and live the people that you know and you grow up with them so it's not easy but when i when i see when i see the situation in afghanistan but especially the taliban killing my brothers my families and my my uh, homeland people so i feel like probably i'm one of the, those lucky guys that i got out from afghanistan and from that situation mm. so i very feel bad for the for my family that still my brother and my sister they're living in afghanistan so i feel very bad for them and the other people also that are living in very bad situation and very very bad situation so the only reason that i'm uh, i i talk the only reason that i'm here to support them to give them good life and give them chance to study and realize their full potential yeah 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 when you're in afghanistan especially in dire straits that it's in you're not ever going to realize your full potential you're just the ability to isn't there um but the fact that you got out the fact that you gave you know 18 plus years of your life to trying to rebuild that country and at the end of the day it didn't work out and now you have to do what you have to do to keep your name strong and your name moving and um and if that has to be from the netherlands then so be it um yeah i hate that that's the you know the situation that you find yourself in and um but like i said i'll always be here to you know bounce back and forth i think i'm going to try to get to the netherlands next year maybe if i can make it happen next year that's the plan me and matter try to line a trip up but um come out and see you but uh I appreciate you taking your time. I know you're busy and you got to get back to it. Um, it's been about an hour, but um, thanks for coming on, Cam. Thanks for kind of giving us a uh, you know a different a different view of the of the situation in Kabul. And um, and again, I I appreciate you for everything that you did for me. You know, overseas, over over in country. So uh, thanks for coming on. Oh, man. Thank you. You're welcome, brother. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks from you that you had. <clears throat> Always back of me. Thank you very much. Thanks always. for everything. Yeah. Always, always. All right, Cam. All right, guys, until next time, if you took something out of this show that resonates with you or you've seen this show and you know that it has to be shared out, we ask you to do that. Don't be selfish with the information. And uh, we'll keep everybody updated as the book develops. It'll be uh, far more greater detail uh, than the podcast, but um, keep your eyes out for it. Until next time, guys, choices, not chances. Thanks. Louisiana Gun Shop, your firearm headquarters, specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also, a large selection of AR-15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal, we have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger, we have all the brands, both in the store or at louisianagunshop.com. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a money. Yeah. Money.